The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Last October, she said something to the effect of January 6th was a riot. And if you think about what our Declaration of Independence says, it says to overthrow tyrants. And now what we will be able to add to that is is to ask her questions under oath. So we'll have to see if all of that taken together might get over the bar of engaging in insurrection. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, April 20th, 2022. Monday evening on the Tucker Carlson Show, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene was complaining that she had to submit to sworn questioning in connection with the January 6th insurrection. That will come on Friday in a case designed to disqualify her as an insurrectionist from future holding of office. It will take place before an administrative law judge in Georgia, her home state, and that makes this the first case brought under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to actually move to discovery. To update us on the Marjorie Taylor Greene case and the other Section 3 of the 14th Amendment Disqualification Litigations, Roger Parloff, Lawfare Senior Editor, joined me in the Virtual Jungle Studio. We talked about how this case came to an actual testimony by Marjorie Taylor Greene, where the other 14th Amendment disqualifications are, and what we should expect in her live stream testimony on Friday. It's the Lawfare Podcast, April 20th. Marjorie Taylor Greene faces insurrection questions. So Roger, Marjorie Taylor Greene was on Tucker Carlson last night complaining that she is going to have to be questioned on Friday in connection with the January 6th insurrection. What is she talking about, and is it true? It does seem to be true. Uh, Unless there is a sudden uh, emergency stay entered, it's a pretty remarkable situation. Some voters are challenging her under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which is the post-Civil War section that uh, basically bars people that have been involved in insurrections or rebellions from holding certain offices. 
it's a little more complicated than that, but that's the gist of it. And this uh, voter challenge was uh, made in uh, Georgia uh, under the state procedures to try to keep her off the ballot as unqualified. And this is a a regular procedure that's used frequently for much lesser types of disqualification, like not being old enough or not living in the state or not living in the right part of the state. But this time, the claim is that she's disqualified under Section 3 as an insurrectionist. So she went into federal court and tried to block this. And this is so far what I've described is pretty much what people heard happen with Madison Cawthorn a month or two ago. But this time, the uh, federal court said, uh, no, I'm not blocking this. And uh, apparently, she's going to leave it there. Uh, She could have tried to uh, appeal to the 11th Circuit, but maybe she doesn't want to spend the money. Maybe she thinks politically this will, she can even use this to her benefit. It will look like the liberals are picking on her or trying to cancel her or or so on. So whatever calculation, it looks like the hearing's going to go forward. The It goes uh, in front of an administrative law judge who's been appointed by the Secretary of State. This is all standard Georgia procedure. She can be called as an adverse witness by the people challenging her. And so this will be the first a member of Congress who has been forced to testify about January 6th. Um, so it's uh, pretty momentous. You, the, the select committee, it seems, the House Select Committee on this subject has uh, basically, it seems, decided uh, not as a matter of policy to force uh, members to appear. They, you remember they invited uh, Jordan to appear, Jim Jordan, but... Um, he declined and they did not subpoena him. So this is a first. All right. So uh, what do we know about Marjorie Taylor Greene's activities in connection with January 6th? The standard under the 14th Amendment is that she is barred from serving further in Congress if having previously taken an oath to preserve and protect the Constitution, she engaged in insurrection or supported it with aid and comfort. What do we know about what she did? Well, the allegations are that she, certainly she promoted the rally at the Ellipse. Uh, certainly she promoted the uh, the big lie, the uh, the notion that uh, the election was stolen. Certainly, she used very. She always uses very uh, violent rhetoric. You know, she was sort of famous for this rhetoric about uh, Pelosi having committed treason, and uh, the the penalty for treason is uh, uh, is death. And then as you get closer to January 6th, um, there are some tweets and um, videos that get more and more uh, angry and and violent in tone. She begins to talk about it. The day before, uh, she said that tomorrow could be our 1776 moment. And this was a phrase that the uh, plaintiffs allege was sort of a code word for uh, violence. 
And um, that's not a preposterous claim. If you look at, you know, if uh, when you get steeped in the right-wing media uh, and uh, social media as, as this thing approached, it, it does appear that 1776, I, I think that's a, a case can be made that that's what was happening. That's what the, those words meant. Ali Alexander uh, frequently, uh, he talked about... Um, uh, we always have the 1776 option, you know, if if Pence didn't do the right thing or if the congressman didn't do the right thing. And so there's that. And then subsequently, uh, she has uh, become an apologist for the insurrectionists. She has... Uh, she's been an advocate for the people who are yes. in, uh, on trial. Yeah, she's praised them as patriots and political prisoners. Going back a bit on December 19th, which was the, that was the date that Trump talked about. That was the tweet about it's going to be wild. Come to January 6th, it'll be wild. She had a tweet the same day saying uh, that she was, quote, planning a little something on January 6th as well, unquote. And then there was a um, quote. Now, I don't know what the timing of this was, but she did say at one point, you can't allow it to just transfer power peacefully like Joe Biden wants and allow him to become our president because he did not win this election. He's guilty of treason. It's a crime punishable by death is what treason is. Nancy Pelosi is guilty of treason. And then, uh, like I said, after the uh, uh, event, she has been uh, an apologist Last October, she said something to the effect of January 6th was a riot. And if you think about what our Declaration of Independence says, it says to overthrow tyrants. So there's this. And now what we will be able to add to that is is to ask her questions under oath. So we'll have to see if all of that taken together might get over the bar of engaging in insurrection. Right. It certainly seems like, in and of itself, these are matters of inflammatory rhetoric that probably don't get you to participating in insurrection. But combined with the sort of admissions you might be able to elicit in live testimony, it's pretty close to the line, right? I think that's right. Um, certainly with our First Amendment protections, I think it, it's hard with just this. You know, there's always been that question about, well, did anyone give tours to people beforehand? We, we, You know, there's a lot of things we don't know the answer to. She allegedly had an associate, a close, close friend that was involved in the riot, although he was not arrested. So there's a lot of sort of loose ends that could possibly go somewhere. But I, I think you're right. We're not just this alone may not do it. All right. So if memory serves, Marjorie Taylor Greene was actually elected the same day as Joe Biden was, which means she would have been in office, I think, for three days at the time of the January 6th riot slash insurrection. Is that correct? Yeah. She she took an oath January 3rd, 2021. So that 
does, in a very technical sense, meet the terms of the of the Fourteenth uh, Amendment, Section Three. But right. it's not quite like you know sitting members of Congress or the Senate who resigned their office to go you know, take offices in the Confederacy, right? It's kind of like, you know, she just got there and and this happened. But I don't think that gives her any argument, hey, previously doesn't mean uh, three days ago. No, uh, I don't think so. I, I don't, I think that's one of the few parts of this that, uh, <laughs> that uh, the plaintiffs have down pat. I think they've met that requirement. I don't think anyone challenges that. I think that Someone might challenge what what you said earlier about the pertinent language of the 14th Amendment. What it says is people who, after having taken this oath, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, meaning against the United States, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. And aid and comfort there might be uh, a reference to foreign enemies. Uh, I, I spoke to at least one professor who thinks that, you know, that tracks the l- language of the treason clause in the Constitution. And so he believes that would refer to foreign enemies and not that you would simply be able to provide aid and comfort to insurrectionists. It's true, although although that would be a very odd reading I mean, I always assumed it was a reference to the people like, you know, the the Northerners who supported the Confederacy, uh, some of them violently, you know, as in if you were a member of Congress who was doing that, you would be disqualified here. No, I don't know about that. Now, it is true that the words engaged in themselves, engaged in insurrection, in the context of the Civil War, did not always have to mean that you were violent. There's one definition from, I'll read a definition from a North Carolina Supreme Court case, 1869, voluntarily aiding the rebellion by personal service or by contributions other than charitable of anything that was useful or necessary in the Confederate service. And it was uh, interpreted pretty broadly. Now, of course, that was a different situation. There was a whole, you know, semi-country carved out of this one. And uh, so you had, so if people were acting as sheriffs in a southern state, and they weren't, you know, necessarily fighting, they were just doing what sheriffs do in any state, that would be considered enough to be, you know, engaging in the rebellion. Um, so you you could even have, a, you know, an inspector of flour, you know, if he takes an oath, uh, he could be uh, come under this category. But of course, that doesn't really solve our, our Madison Cawthorn or MTG problem. They're not officials of the the free state of insurrection <laughs> they're um they're yeah. actually people who are there ostensibly doing their jobs as members of congress certifying or refusing to certify the bo- vote they're just sympathetic to and maybe engaging with the insurrectionists right that's right and another thing that gets fuzzy with these 
all of these cases, and, and now there are there are nine such cases pending across the yeah, country. Yeah, so we're going we're to come to, in a moment, the, uh, the scope of this, these litigations. But, you know, there were a lot of things going on, we now know. You know, there was this alternate electors scheme, which had various different flavors. There was the attempt to have Pence, you know, call for a 10-day audit or simply not count the votes or throw it to the House. There were all these different uh, schemes, and some are more, you know, colorably legal than others, and some are nonviolent, and they might be crimes, like, you know, the alternate elector scheme. That might be a crime. Uh, it might be a fraud on the United States. It might be a corrupt obstruction of a congressional proceeding. But is it a uh, an insurrection without violence? No, I don't. I, I don't think so. I, you know, civil unrest. I think is pretty basic. So you you do get some of these cases, including Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, she obviously she voted to she objected to uh, the the electoral slates from Arizona and Pennsylvania, like, you know, more than 100 congressmen did. I, you know, I don't think that gets you very far. So uh, there's a lot of, there's a mosaic here. A lot of things are thrown in the mix, but uh, without some sort of discovery, big discovery coming out of discovery, I don't think these get over the bar. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right. So before we come to what the plaintiffs and petitioners will be trying to get from her in this hearing, I want you to talk about these other eight cases. This one's the outlier that has actually gone to discovery and produced a kind of real-time deposition of the member. Uh, What's happened with the other cases? Uh, well, Cawthorn was the first, Madison Cawthorn, and the s- same pattern began, but a different judge in uh, North Carolina ruled for Cawthorn, a federal judge, to block the uh, petition from going forward, the state proceeding from going forward. And he actually ruled, he he took one of the least 
likely, in my humble opinion, uh, bases for blocking it, which was he ruled that the uh, Amnesty Act of 1872 after the Civil War was prospective and it reached forward and it granted amnesty to everyone in the future and including Madison Cawthorn. So that mooted out the case. That's now on appeal. It's an expedited appeal. And um, there's going to be an oral argument May 3rd in front of the Fourth Circuit. So uh, that's uh, an interesting case. And and there, so there's that's now the primary is something like May 23rd or there isn't going to be a whole lot of time. He's going to be on the ballot, uh, but there's still an outside shot that he could be forced to testify before before the election. Jim Banks was briefly uh, challenged, but that was a week a week long, and uh, it, it was not a petition. It was basically just a one page challenge. I don't think that was serious. Um, that was Indiana, the Indiana Election Commission. Um, and it was rejected uh, about five days after he made the uh, objection and he did not pursue it. He was challenged by a Democrat running in the primary, you know, an opponent, a potential opponent. But that was not a very serious challenge. A fairly serious challenge has been filed in federal court in Wisconsin um, against Senator Ron Johnson and two congressman, Tom Tiffany and Scott Fitzgerald. That one is sort of tied up in these uh, uh, alternate elector schemes issues, which, like I say, I I don't know if that's exactly an insurrection. A motion to dismiss was just filed uh, Friday for the congressman. Interestingly enough, it doesn't even bring up that 1872 Amnesty Act issue. I think what uh, what most people regard as a stronger issue, also in the Cawthorn case, also in the uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene case, is um, there is a case to be made, which a professor named Derek Muller does make, that Congress has exclusive power to judge the qualifications of its members. And so that's one Uh, one theory for trying to get rid of these cases. Then there's another case that was filed in March, and it might be one of the stronger, or maybe the strongest. It's against a county commissioner named Coy Griffin. And he was actually convicted last month for his involvement in the uh, insurrection. Yeah, that sure helps, having, having a conviction for activity in connection with insurrection. Yeah, I would think so. And um, now it was a misdemeanor, a class A misdemeanor, and it was nonviolent. And he actually didn't get inside the building. Uh, He was in in restricted area right out front of the building and near a lot of violence. That's in New Mexico uh, state court. And that's, interestingly, that's different from the others also because it's not an effort to block him from being put on the ballot for re-election. It's an effort to pull him out of office. And uh, the way you do that, there's an action called a quo warranto action. And I think there's versions of it in most states, although most states you have to be a, a state official, like a, the DA or the attorney general that would bring that action. Here, uh, it apparently allows citizens to bring 
such actions and a citizen has brought that action or several and uh, that's a pretty serious case and then marjorie taylor green uh, the the case against her was filed just last month and it's gone quickly and then um earlier this month three arizona uh figures representative paul gosar uh andy biggs and a state representative named named mark fincham were all named uh, in a uh, state lawsuit. Uh, Fincham is running for Secretary of State this year. Gosar and Biggs were among the people that were considered, you know, the most likely targets of these, along with Mo Brooks, you know, in the very beginning. They, I think Ali Alexander has claimed that uh, Paul Gosar and Andrew Biggs helped him, you know, devise, uh, come up with uh, stop the steal or something, and, and uh, they have denied involvement and any wrongdoing, of course. So they're being challenged. So what do we know about the advocacy group that is coordinating these challenges, and how many of them are they behind? Three of these have been brought by one group called Free Speech for People, and it was formed some time back. It wasn't formed for this purpose. It's bringing the, it brought Madison Cawthorn, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and um, I believe it's bringing the uh, Arizona case. And they, they, they have been, ever since the insurrection, they have said that they wanted to try to exclude Trump from the ballot if he, if he ever... Uh, if he tries to run again, they they have uh, brought together some quality lawyers for these uh, challenges. The one against Madison Cawthorn involves a couple former Supreme Court justices from the state North Carolina Supreme Court. One one Republican, one one Democrat. There's a pack that's bringing the uh, Wisconsin case. It's called the uh, Minocqua Brewing Company Super PAC. It's a liberal. It's a liberal group, and then the Coy Griffin one is being brought by uh, Crew, the Citizens uh, Responsibility and Ethics. I don't yes. remember what the W is for. Yeah, so that that's a very serious group. All right, so let's talk about this testimony that MTG is going to have to give on Friday, assuming that it happens. If you are the counsel who's going to be questioning her, you want to get her to admit something that moves the bar on what it means to be engaged, right? We want You want to get her to concede something that you can then argue to a court, hey, look, she said all these things, and then by her own testimony, she did X. We know she wasn't manning barricades. We know she wasn't, you know, assaulting police officers. So what are the things that, if you were litigating this case, you would be looking to get her to admit having done? Well, you know, the really tough thing here is that, you know, most litigators are taught, you know, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Here, every question is going to be of that nature. The administrative law judge, 
denied the opportunity for a deposition beforehand. He also denied a document production request. Now, this does not mean that he's biased against the plaintiffs. He's an act- actually an interesting man, but I think he, he said that because of the time constraints, and also it's, it's, not, it's not common to have document production in these court sorts of cases. So he denied those. So they're going to be going blind. And uh, they also won't be able to disprove whatever she does say, uh, even if she's not completely candid. So I think it's a very difficult um, situation. I assume they will ask about her role in funding these things. And uh, was she aware of the very violent rhetoric that was going on online. I don't know if you ask her about her own violent rhetoric, because that just gives her an opportunity to try to wriggle out of some things that have already that that sound pretty bad the way they are. But I think you would want to ask her whether she had contact with any of a long list of people in the relevant time period, right? Yes. And uh, her interactions with Ali Alexander, uh, her in- interactions, if any, with you know, Alex Jones, with any Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, Three Percenters, any militia people, uh, I guess you sort of have to ask those. But you may get a series of no, no, no. And it'll be live. It'll be live streamed, which is quite amazing. Yeah. So let's talk about that. How did it come to be live streamed? Is that typical administrative law judge procedure in the state of Georgia? <laughs> I don't think it's uh, the subjects of these ALJ hearings uh, usually get a lot of social media interest. But um, the plaintiffs asked, and he felt it was a matter of, I think, of, of great public interest. Uh, I think the Georgia laws on this are better than, for instance, the federal court laws on this. And he's a very experienced judge. He's a he's a retired lawyer. Uh, he's born in fifty one, so nineteen fifty one. So I guess he's seventy or seventy one, and he uh, has been doing this for nine years. His actual specialty is tax law. It seems went to Duke, uh, summa cum laude, and uh, Harvard Law cum laude. So uh, and uh, and initially there's there's already. The, the uh, plaintiff's group bringing this, the Free Speech for People group, does have on its site some of the uh, rulings that he's given and also one Zoom meeting he held. And um, he's a pretty uh, impressive guy, you know, down the middle. Uh, so, but anyway, he decided that it was an issue of great public import. People asked if they could live stream it. Uh, she asked them not to. She overruled it. So it's going to happen. Will you be watching it? Uh, if you'll let me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I plan to watch it, yes. Roger Parloff, thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our audio engineer this episode, Sam Wah. Because, you know, sometimes I just record myself. Look, folks, some of you are 
material supporters of Lawfare, and we love you very deeply, and we appreciate it very much. Some of you are still not. You guys heard ads on this podcast episode. You guys don't get to come to Lawfare Live, and you don't get other special bonuses that we give to material supporters. You should fix that www.patreon.com slash lawfare. That's patreon.com slash lawfare. The Lawfare Podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. And as always, thanks for listening.